Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your host, Eddie Rye. Uh, we're going to start off with uh, my congressman. Uh, I live in the 9th Congressional District in Washington State, and I'm represented by Congressman Adam Smith, who also is chair of the House Armed Services Committee, and uh, he has been on several times. Uh, uh, very accessible. I appreciate you and your staff. As a matter of fact, uh, I referred a couple of people to go into your office in the Evergreen Building in Renton to seek assistance from your staff, and they were satisfied customers. But Congressman Adam Smith, I want you to go ahead and take the lead with so many things happening. Uh, naturally, there's still talk about Afghanistan. Apparently, a deal's been worked out for Americans to get out, praise the Lord. But I just want you to go ahead and take this time and mention, uh, talk a little bit about Afghanistan, and what your priorities are, what you're working on. Sure. Yeah. No, thanks, Eddie. I, I very much appreciate that. Uh, there's a lot going on in the world. I mean, the next six to eight weeks in, in Washington, D.C. are going to be really important on the infrastructure side, too. As you know, we're trying to put together the infrastructure bill um, that is focused, well, they're calling it the human infrastructure need, focusing on health care, education, child care, uh, family leave, a lot of the basic things that are so necessary for, for working class people to make it in this world uh, to dramatically improve that. We're trying to get an agreement on that. There is the, the physical infrastructure bill that passed the Senate that we're trying to work on. We also have the debt ceiling, which is coming up, and the end of the fiscal year. So we're trying to pass a continuing resolution that takes care of the debt ceiling as well. And the way that all plays out next like I said, six to eight weeks is going to have a huge impact on this country. So I'm hoping we can get get a robust human infrastructure package passed uh, and get those other things done so that the government doesn't shut down and we keep funding it. Uh, so we've got that. And as you were mentioning to me in the break, we've now heard that the, the, the right-wing extremists are once again planning on gathering in Washington, D.C., this time on September 18th. And we all know what happened the last time they were there. Um, I think this is a vivid reminder that extremism and white supremacy and racism are still major problems in this country. I will say the other big thing I'm working on is the National Defense Authorizing Act, which we passed out of committee last week. One of the provisions in it um, was to instruct the military to go after extremism in the ranks, uh, to define the term um, and making sure those people are removed from service. Uh, Congressman Anthony Brown, who's on the, the committee from Maryland, was, was a lead on that. And then lastly, I'll just touch on Afghanistan before turning it back to you. I mean, three big things on Afghanistan to me. Number one, you know, we, we've got to continue the mission of trying to get everybody out of Afghanistan that we can. Uh, that's not easy. You, you pointed out we're able to get, get some Americans out now. Um, we need to get um, the SIV holders, the visa holders out of Afghanistan as well, and we need to, to get them properly resettled once they get out. So that's going to be a big challenge. Second, I hope we do understand that it was the right decision to get out of Afghanistan. Um, staying longer would not have improved the outcome. But third, I do think that we should have started getting people out sooner. I think the Biden administration made a mistake by waiting uh, until July and August um, after our troops had, had come out. I think we should have recognized that the Taliban regime was going to take over um, and that the Afghan government was going to fall and gotten people out sooner. Um, certainly that has made, made a difficult situation worse. But don't kid ourselves that there was some way we could have stayed in Afghanistan uh, and not faced enormous problems as well. And that's, that's, that's a rough summary of some of the stuff I'm working on. Yeah, we've seen Afghanistan run uh, the Soviets out, the Brits out twice, 
And, you know, uh, I just, I'm still quite, can't quite understand all this money and all this training that was supposed to be going on of the Afghan troops. And were we being misled by the generals and the leaders about how effective they were going to be as fighters? Because it seems to me that, well, then again, you look at the, the tribal, and it's just a very complex uh, a country. I'll just leave it like that. I don't know. Uh, I don't know who can heal that issues, but uh, uh, I do think that they should have kept the Air Force base. I agree with you. Now, before they gave up that air, air the air base, I think they should have ex- evacuated all the people that would come out. As you know, and everybody else knew, Taliban wasn't going to take over, and they did. Uh, Congressman, I also want to talk to you about a, uh, a few other things, too. Voter suppression. And uh, I've talked to uh, some younger people who are in the military right now. And, uh, you know, the issues being raised right now, especially by, I'll say, African descendants of the United States enslaved. Us Black folks has been here 400 years and fought in every war. And that's one of the reasons why... Uh, the country is as prosperous as it is now because we 254 years of slavery and you know the rest of the history. But uh, yeah. it's a very difficult for a black in the military to be around the world defending democracy while back at home they don't have a right to vote. Uh, you know, I just, it just, it's really perplexing to just imagine someone in Germany or South Korea or Japan or England at the Air Force Base coming and you say, why are you over here? You can't even vote at home. And uh, yeah. I, I don't think people are thinking about that. But, you know, it's really, uh, it's bothering a lot of people, you know, to think, what are we really defending? And uh, and we see our, our rights under attack. And now I think, I think uh, really now the last straw has been this latest move in Texas. What do you think about uh, what's happening in Texas with the women's right to choose? Yeah, well, let me start with voter suppression, then I'll move move move, move on to the the abortion issue. I mean, first of all, just just to be clear, we we, we have not gone back um, to the the Jim Crow days. What they've done is they have suppressed the vote in a way that makes it extraordinarily difficult for people in democratic leaning parts of these states to vote. And that's, I mean, if you really dig into laws like speaking of Texas, you know, Texas was one of the places that has passed an incredibly repressive. Um, approach to black people from voting. But what they've done is they've, they've made it easier to vote in rural areas and more difficult to vote in urban democratic areas. You know, they, they literally have bills in both Georgia and Texas that expand the hours that, that voting um, places are open in rural areas and contract them in the vastly more populated urban, in some cases suburban areas, where people of color are more represented. So no question this has a racial element to it, but also just Democrats in general. Um, They're trying to make it more difficult for Democratic counties to vote in Texas, in Georgia, in in a bunch of states all across the country. And I think you're right. If we lose the fundamental principle of, of one person, one vote, then, you know, it is it's a lot harder to to stand up for this country. And these laws are far more aggressive than most people realize. It's not just a matter of, oh, we're trying to stop voter fraud. I mean, they, they limit the number of drop boxes where, where people can turn in absentee ballots. They shrink the hours. They make it illegal to drive somebody to the polls to vote. It's, you know, the restrictions here are definitely going to have the effect of making it more difficult for people of color to vote, and we got to stand up against that. Similarly, in Texas, 
you know, they, they are outlawing abortion. That is, as I heard in your news report leading into that, that's the absolute effect of, of what they are doing. Um, and this is a major threat to women's health. And the Supreme Court just let it happen, even though the law in Texas is clearly unconstitutional. Now, Congress, what we're going to try and do is we're going to try and pass a law that effectively codifies Roe versus Wade and, and overturns the state laws. Um, but to do that, of course, we've got to get at least 50 votes in the Senate um, and overturn the filibuster. So standing up for women's reproductive health has become as big a challenge in this country as standing up for the right of people of color to vote. And I really think on that one issue might galvanize a lot of the uh, women that were supporting uh, Donald Trump and other right-wing people. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, I would request that uh, any woman that's married uh, has a partner, a boyfriend, that if they're opposed to abortion, they should not have sex. Then they'd have to worry about an abortion, okay? That's yeah. my personal opinion. Yeah, well, and I, and I like that the Texas governor said, oh, don't worry about it. We're going to eliminate rape, you know, as, as if he has the power <laughs> to do that. Um, yeah, the, the ignorance surrounding both the voting laws and the laws against women's right to reproductive choice is is staggering. And there's, this, you know, the overwhelming population of, of uh, voters, uh, women voters supported uh uh, uh, Donald, well, a significant, I don't know if it was, it was overwhelming, but yeah. a significant number of women supported. And I used to still see them at the rallies, the anti-vaxxers, uh, the MAGA hat wearers. And even, I, I just want to see how far will they go with that. Hopefully, their daughters and other younger uh, women don't go for it. I understand the women in suburbia have uh, thrown ice water on that whole idea. Uh the other thing is that, you know, we, if this infrastructure bill, what is your procrastination in terms of having that bill passed and having uh, uh, funds going to states and municipalities? Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be very difficult. Um, yeah, but, you know, if anyone can get it done, Speaker Pelosi can. Uh, I always think of her as the irresistible force going after the immovable objects. You know, certainly we've got to get every Democrat in the Senate, all 50 of them on board. And, you know, we've only got a three-vote majority in the House, so we can't – and no Republicans are voting for this. So we can't lose any Democrats. So it's going to be a very complicated negotiation. Um, but I, I – I'd say 50-50, but I never bet against Nancy. Um, and the other piece of this that isn't getting much coverage is that it is our plan to pay for this, um, primarily with wealth taxes, driving down the price of prescription drugs – driving up collection of taxes. Um, so people have to agree to the pay-fors as well. And, you know, that's what they've been working on for the last several weeks, and it's, it's really in overdrive right now to get that agreement. Um, so let's, let's go with cautiously optimistic. Yeah, I just read somewhere uh, a news flash that the top 1% uh, didn't pay $1.63 billion in taxes. I don't know if that was just for last year or not. Billion. How much billion, as a matter of fact? $160 billion a year that they okay. in, in tax avoidance from the top 1%. Now, that would pretty well take care of a lot of uh, social ills. And that's one thing my mentor, the, who was a Republican, the late Dr. Arthur Allen Fletcher, known as the father of permanent action, 
He said, you'd be surprised what economic equality in the black community would do for some of our social, educational, and other ills that we have. And uh, I see that all the time because uh, the municipalities and the states are, uh, I think that if the, uh, if Kristen Clark, the assistant attorney general for civil rights, looked at the numbers from disparity studies for Washington State, including Washington Department of Transportation, I think uh, she would say there's widespread discrimination, or especially against uh, African descendants of the United States enslaved, whose numbers are really mediocre. We've had the same uh, uh, concept, Dan, for, okay, the big guy will select the subcontractors, and if the blacks never get selected, they never, you know, you have to close your shop. Matter of fact, on one project alone, on the Seattle Tunnel Partners project, four black construction companies went out of business on that one project. So uh, a lot of blacks now are hesitant because they're saying, hey, there's not a chance because this large white company is not going to select me. And the best way for us to participate is to have direct access uh, to the contracts. Uh, we have engineers that break those contracts down uh, so they uh, meet the needs of the capacity of our firms, but nobody's willing to do that. And so, you know, uh, whether we're in Washington State, I think even Mississippi is probably doing a little better with contracting with blacks, but you have a lot more black folks here who are county commissioners and mayors too. So I think that has a lot to do with it as well. So I just uh, have been talking to folks back in the Congressional Black Caucus about this issue too. After 45 years, where are our successful uh, black construction companies? And uh, we understand right now, there was a female owned firm that went, uh, her and her husband got a divorce he got the trucks, and this man has uh, $300 million worth of contracts. He's still uh, known as a small business. And the large companies like Kiwi, those guys, they have a monopoly with this large, one large white trucking firm, while the smaller black firms sit on the sidelines. But before you go, I'd like to have you just say hello to uh, 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 Ray Miller, who is uh, uh, the NAACP's Armed Services and Veteran Affairs uh, Chair. Raymond, are you on the line right now? I am here, Eddie. How you doing? Okay. Okay. Well, the, the, the big guy over armed services is on the line with us. He's been gracious enough to come on the program a couple of times and hear me uh, get my complaints out. But he's very gracious. He will listen, if you make sense, that is. Right. So, uh, Raymond, why don't you just share with uh, the congressman before he has to go uh, some of the uh, concerns that the veterans have rather than having a VA hospital up in Stormish County? Um, oh, our biggest, one of our biggest concerns is that um, uh, what's happening at the VA facilities nationwide uh, with this COVID um, pandemic is that um, the VA has, has basically, if you don't have COVID, you can't get any services through the VA or they're very limited services. That's one of the uh, things that we really are concerned about is with the VA is how do we get the, the care the proper care for our, our veterans out there. And we got veterans who are dying every day of other illnesses, not getting treatment enough for like heart conditions and pancreatic cancer and uh, uh, diabetes. They're not getting the everyday services that they need. Um, uh, that, you know, mental health care that because of COVID, they had to pretty much shut down VA hospitals and VA services around the country. Um, even myself in, in uh, particular, I've been trying to get to see a chiropractor doctor since December of 2019 that I can't even get in to see that. But I've been trying to get in that they've been trying to schedule a doctor for me to do that. Uh, 
in, in my own particular case, and we got veterans all over the country uh, really suffering. And uh, the way the Afghanistan um, drawdown was handled has really put a lot of veterans in uh, with post-traumatic stress in a lot of distress, and their traumas are returning, and uh, they're running, you know, like uh, what happened and. Uh, most of them would agree that we had been in uh, Afghanistan long enough, but the way it was handled, uh, we also are very proud of that the, the men and women from uh, McCord, Fort Lewis, from Joint Base Lewis McCord, were able to work on that, and the, the flight crews out there in the C-17 from Fort from uh, Joint Lewis Base McCord Lewis uh, were able to get that done and, and uh, they're back home and they're safe and we did lose 13 heroes uh, through a suicide bomb but uh, we're really concerned about that and we're also very happy that we got and on another note that we were able to get some of those statues down uh, the Robert E. Lee statue for that glorified the Confederate traitors was taken down and uh, we thought we had won mm -hmm. our double victory in 1940 with the bring like the Tuskegee Airmen and the Moffat Fort Mountain Port Marine uh, to get that thing. So we've been working on that. So uh, those are some of the issues that we are really concerned about, as well as voter rights and voter suppression. And we need to get that John Lewis bill. Uh, I know it had passed through the House, and we thank you for that, Congressman. But we also want to make sure that we get it through the Senate. We need to make sure our Democrats in the in the Senate. Uh, we need to look at that filibuster uh, to get that done as well. Well, thank you, Ray. I appreciate that, and I really appreciate your leadership for 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 Black veterans. And COVID is is overwhelming, um, and I think you highlight a point that I don't think people have focused on enough. Certainly, we focus on the COVID patients and all that, but it is blocking out other healthcare. And for veterans in particular who desperately need that healthcare, we need to make sure we expand those services and we get COVID under control, get people vaccinated. Um, control the disease so we can get back to treating those other other uh, ailments that you correctly point out. People are really struggling just to get access. So that's all part of what we're we're trying to work on. I I do have to run, Eddie, but I always okay. Well, okay, and, but uh, before we'll you go, Congressman, I just want to let you want to let you know it's not just the military. A very good friend of mine three weeks ago was in the emergency room at the hospital in Seattle. Uh, they determined he had a heart condition because he was over sixty five. They sent him home. So it's just not in the military. It's happening all around the world. These uh, uh, people against vaccines and, and masks are filling up the hospitals. As far as I'm concerned, they need to send them somewhere else. We shouldn't let anybody from Idaho and Washington State because the governor prided himself on, on not wearing masks for vaccination. So, Congressman, thank you very much for your time today. We appreciate it. Yeah, amen to that, Eddie. Thank you. Appreciate it. You have a good day. Okay, thank you, though. Okay, Mr. Raymond Lewis, why don't you just talk a little bit about the objectives and what uh, the priorities are right now for the uh, NAACP Armed Services and Veterans Committee. Oh, okay. Well, our, our main purpose is always for the um, to uh, make sure that our veterans uh, get access to the benefits and services that they deserve, that they are earned by their service in the United States military. We're working very hard at that. We're also very concerned with our members of our armed services, and one of the things you, you, you talked about, especially our African-American veterans, are um, voter suppression that's going on today. How can you serve in the United military fighting all over the world for freedom, justice, and the American way, and people back home in the thing are trying to take your right 
vote away from you. And so those are really the key issues that we are really working on is making sure veterans mm-hmm. get their benefits and services, that they are earned by the service to their country, and then make sure that voting rights is not only uh, expanded. I can't believe that they uh, are making voting less attractive. We should make it in Voting should be as easy as um, getting a driver's license or getting a, 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 a weapons permit. Uh, it's easier to vote in Washington State. They either get a gun permit in Washington State than it is to register to vote. So, and, and that's in many places around the country. So those are just some of the key issues that we are working on, and we're hoping that we can uh, um, be successful. I'm, I'm, really, I'm really proud that we were able to uh, get those some statutes. We've been had, since 2019, we've been had over 160 Confederate statues and monuments removed from the from around the country, we still got about a hundred monuments to go. We got agreement with the Department of Defense that by 2023, at uh, those bases, the military installations that are named after Confederate soldiers, they're supposed to be, re- be renamed. Also, we have some VA facilities that are named after Confederate war traitors, uh, who uh, the VA hasn't agreed to rename those up yet. That we're working on, we have to talk with the Secretary of Department of Veterans Affairs about that. As well as, you know, um, um, so, yeah, the monuments, making sure people get the rights and benefits that they deserve. And uh, um, those are the key issues that we're really working on. Yeah. Yeah, It'd also be good, too, to have an investment and uh, have some clinics for veterans in remote areas enough to drive from Mount Vernon to Seattle to get uh, medical attention. But I do want to say, Ray Miller, that uh, in 1941, the Daughters of Confederacy with the support of our legislators in Washington State, named Highway 99 for Confederate President Jefferson Davis. And it yeah. stayed that way up until 2017. And uh, the charge was led by former state representative Hans Dunshee uh, out of Snohomish County. And he wanted to name the highway for, I think it was Willie uh, William P. Uh, Robinson. Was this Robinson? Yeah, I think it was uh, Stewart. 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 Yeah, he, he's buried Stewart. in Snohomish County. He's a Civil War, uh, Civil War veteran. And uh, they have put one little sign up, State Department of Transportation, put a one little sign up by uh, the Everett Mall and then said, well, the, the entire Highway 99 wasn't named him, just a part of it. I said, well, why would you have a ceremony one day at the Canadian border and then the next day have another ceremony with a marker uh, in Vancouver, right by the, the Oregon border? So, you know, we got people in the Washington State Transportation Commission that are putting out erroneous information, don't want to acknowledge their brother. And, uh, you know, that's what happens. Uh, this man could have lost his life fighting for democracy and for, for us to have our freedom. Yep. Well, and does, you know, we started working on, on getting the William P. Stewart Highway renamed after the Jefferson Davis Highway from the Daughters of Confederate. We started working on that in 1998. I'm glad. When Hans, Hans came to us with the, when I was with the, the national director for the National Association for Black Veterans, and that was one of the first uh, projects we worked on that we knew about. To, that mm-hmm. actually started us on this, this framework to getting monuments renamed. We were successful. Yeah. Well, that happened, that happened in 2017. Now known the William P. Stewart Highway. And William P. Stewart is a former Confederate, I mean, Civil War veteran who right. uh, left Buried uh, in Snohomish after County. the end of the Civil War. He moved to Snohomish County. Right. He's buried yeah. there, too. 
Well, uh, Ray Miller, man, I really want to thank you, uh, you know, for the time today. And uh, I uh, want you to keep me posted on, I'm a veteran, but I don't get no benefits. Six months, folks in the reserves of the National Guard and get no benefits. But if a war would have broke out, we would have had to go. But anyway, so thank you very much for your time today, Ray. Keep up the good work, man. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Um, okay, Eric, we'll take a quick break and come back with our next guest after this. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Get inspired every hour right here on Alternative Talk 1150. All right, Eddie Ryan back in Urban Forum Northwest with my next guest, who is Gary Flowers of the Gary Flowers Show in Richmond, Virginia on WREJ 101.3 FM. And his also his broadcast over his Facebook page. Uh, Gary is the former executive director and CEO of Black Leadership Forum Incorporated in Washington, D.C. And also, I met him, he was the national field director for the Rainbow Push Coalition back in the 90s. So, Gary, welcome to Urban Forum Northwest, my brother. And uh, thank you, big brother. We appreciate thank you all the assistance uh, you gave Reverend Jackson and, and me uh, during my years with Rainbow. I remember there was no time that I landed in, in Seattle that you weren't there at the airport to greet us. So, thank you for all the hard work that you did then and are continuing to do. And uh, Gary, you have such a, a, a background of just being uh, in uh, leadership positions and influencing people in DC and now. You have a program that's on uh, Monday through Friday from, from 9 to 11, which is 6 to 8 our time. But I really want to talk to you today about a historic event that occurred yesterday in Richmond, Virginia. And that was the removal of uh, the Robert E. Lee statue. So uh, you said you grew up you grew up in Richmond seeing it every day. Oh, my goodness, yes. I'm fifth-generation Richmonder, and the statues have been a fixture literally all of my life. Uh, I now know that when I was born, my aunt 
gave uh, our family a world set of encyclopedia, the, the picture representing Richmond, Virginia, was a Robert E. Lee statue. And so growing up, there's been always a, a quiet avoidance of Monument Avenue by black people. And so as a Richmond native, to see General Robert E. Lee hanging from a crane as he should have hanged from the gallows 156 years ago was a, a sense of, of redemption. I could feel the spirits of my ancestors who were brutalized by the the system of enslavement and of Jim Crow and the degradation that came with it, that Confederate attitude and ideology. I felt a sense of, of jubilee and a, and a sense of, of uh, that what 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 did the uh, old folks used to say in the church that old oh, great getting up morning, and so it was, mm-hmm. it was a day of, uh, of of joy in symbolism. And now I, I just had a, a, a gentleman who's uh, the NWC Veterans Armed Services and Veterans Affairs Chair. Uh, the, the, I guess all the uh, the st- uh, the army bases, military bases, named for former Confederate generals and colonels will be. Uh, re- their names will be removed from those bases? Well, some of them. It, it's a state-by-state state, uh, issue. The federal government has kind of given the states uh, an option on it. Joe Biden is, is not being bold, uh, as we many of us expected him not to be. And as a re- result, let me give you an example. I spoke at the Robert E. Lee, Fort Robert E. Lee, which they call Fort Lee. They don't even call it Robert E. Lee. And my first two sentences were, I'm baffled that I came through the gates of Fort Robert E. Lee, a man who fought and killed Americans as a foreign uh, military force. Why would you name a U.S. military installation after him? And, of course, I wasn't invited back to speak, but at least I had to <laughs> let them know the paradox and the un-Americanness of such naming. And, we, you know, we really had that Robert E. Lee influence in Congress these days. As a matter of fact, I think uh, the January 6th crowd is reassembling to uh, attack the Capitol again on September 18th. And hopefully this time they'll have some armored vehicles waiting on them. I I suggest that if Robert E. Lee, Stonewall Jackson, and their cohorts had been hanged according to the U.S. Constitution, we wouldn't have had the smoldering embers of the Confederacy that are now flaming again. Remember, Nathan Bedford Forrest, Another one of their cohorts as a general in the Confederacy founded the Ku Klux Klan just after the end of the Civil War. Had he been hanged, he wouldn't have been around to form the Ku Klux Klan. <laughs> well, you know, as, as, far, as far as I'm concerned, that's white privilege. No matter what, how it break, uh, breaks down, the, uh, the worst crime, it's like the January 6th people. Oh, well, he needs to go to Mexico. This guy's just been involved in trying to overthrow the government. Okay, to, to overthrow the government on a day they count electoral ballots, but he can be excused to go to Mexico. Oh, my brother-in-law's getting married. I need to go to the funeral. A <laughs> brother get two years to steal the Snickers out the mini Martin can't go anywhere. So I'm just saying they really do. Uh, it's white privilege. Is all, that's all I can say. It, it is. It is a continuation of white privilege and the false notion of white supremacy. Mm. Now and let's, so, let's go back to. Uh, you can relate to this, brother Eddie. Federal government under J. Edgar Hoover, from Marcus Garvey in the 20s to the Black Panthers in the 70s, sought to di- discredit and destroy black organizations, the Panthers, the Young Lords, and the Latin X community. 
And yet, of the 900 known white nationalist organizations, they seemingly get to still exist in American society without any disruption. That's white privilege. I would say so, no question. Now, uh, on your program, how can our listeners tune in to the Gary, the Gary Flowers yes. Show? And you're on six well, to eight. A lot of people get up earlier than me. I must admit, I'm, I'm a night owl. Right. But worldwide, six to eight. Worldwide, your audience uh, may tune in to the Gary Flowers Show if they go to our website, rejoicerichmond.com, and it, it airs from 6 to 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 to 11 Eastern Time. And so rejoicerichmond.com is the main way. Uh, you may go to Facebook and type in the word rejoice101.3 FM, and you may view the Gary Flowers Show as well. Oh, that's great. That's great. And one other issue. Uh, in terms of uh, the vote right now, we got a situation in California that's, I guess, the people are kind of losing interest. But uh, what do we have to do to make sure that we have a solid majority in the House and the Senate in spite of the gerrymandering and the voter suppression? Okay. What, what kind of recommendations would you have? Much like Frederick Douglass, I'm an abolitionist. I believe as long as we have a two-party winner-take-all system, we're going to have uh, problems. As long as we allow states to control federal elections, we're going to have voter shenanigans. And so I believe, first and foremost, we should, uh, we should open the political electorate. Uh, I think the Republican Party should divide in two. I think the Democratic Party should divide in two. And I think labor movement should have its own party. Our allies across the water, England, France, Italy, Germany all have parliamentary systems with multiple political parties. Secondly, as it relates to the state control of federal elections, that's according to the 10th Amendment to the United States Constitution. When I left Chicago and moved back east, I brought with me an individual right to bear arms, individual right for freedom of religion. I had to re-register the vote because of the 10th Amendment. States control federal elections. That is absurd. And we need to correct that quick and fast. Otherwise, we're going to we're going to find ourselves in the, in the boat that we're in now. And that is, states are bringing up. Seventeen states have voter suppression laws that are so onerous, it's not even doesn't even resemble democracy. And at the local level, what would you advise people to do? Like the end up well, the NAACP is on the ground, but uh, I'm a little concerned about uh, voter apathy. Uh, well, I think part of voter apathy is a choice between twiddle D and twiddle dumb. So in most elections, your choice is between a conservative Democrat and a, a you know a radically uh, um, repugnant Republican. And so many people's apathy vote is really a vote. It's, the vote is I don't want either one of them. Remember now, half of the electorate chose not to vote. And that's how Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton. That was an active vote. That wasn't just people not caring about the vote. They don't think they have a viable choice. And that's why we have to expand the electorate. Well, you know, Gary Flowers, I, we have to do something. I'll tell you that, because right now what we're faced with is just totally unacceptable. And uh, like I said, man, we'll be getting back together uh, on a monthly basis because you have so much knowledge and wisdom. And I also encourage people 
Uh, I'm just on once a week, and you're on Monday through Friday from 6 to 8 our time. So I'm going to have to find out a way. If he was on TV, I could DVR it. I'm going to figure out a way to get – I'm going to have to get up early a few mornings and check you out. Well, I remember a day that you met us at the airport at 6 a.m. and we took red eyes to Seattle. So I know you as a warrior can do it. Oh, yeah, yeah. But then again, I was about butting that, not sending that. <laughs> a couple years ago. Yeah, hey, man, hey. This one friend of mine, Roy Hayes, says, if you're over 70, if if you if something's not hurting when you wake up, you must be dead. So There it is. There it is. Yeah, please, think, give, please give your wife my love and Angela as well. Okay, will do, sir. Thank you very much. Appreciate you, uh, Gary. Thank you, big brother. All right, brother. Okay, thank you very much. All righty. I uh, want to give a shout-out to a couple of folks before we go on with uh, Brother Sullivan. First of all, I had a very positive experience from a local company called Junk Be Gone. And it's the second time David's been here. Scott is the owner. And uh, David and Jose came by today. Uh, they were so quick, it wasn't funny. I mean, they can make, they are almost like magic. But anyway, if you have some, some issues with some junk, call Scott at 206-722-4285. I am a satisfied customer, and I don't be procrastinating. They do the job. So do we have uh, Mr. Eric Sullivan on? I'm on. Okay. All right, then. Uh, Mr. Eric Sullivan is a entrepreneur, and he's the CEO and founder of the Black Business Matters, executive director and CEO at Rising Phoenix, Seattle. And uh, he has a very unique uh, way of getting to people with his barbershop bus. So, Eric, welcome to Urban Forum Northwest. So why don't you give us a... A little uh, overview to our listeners about your background, and then let's talk about the, your barber your barbershop bus was catching a lot of uh, getting a lot of attention. Thank you very much. First of all, thank God uh, for the opportunity to be here on your show and speak with you. Um, you're a very uh, established and prestigious member of our community and the Black community, and I, I appreciate being allowed to be here. It's an honor. Well, thank you very much for that, ladies. I appreciate it. Uh, but my barber service is Tree of Life Barber Services, and uh, I've been cutting for about 30 years since I was 16 years old. I'm 47 now, and um, it's to financially establish me so that um, I can do better things in the community. Um, I moved here about 10 years ago. I originally worked. for a man named Rafiq, and that established me in the area, um, especially in the Rainier Beach area. And um, then I went to work for Los's VIP Barbershop, which was formerly Paul's. And I managed that for a period of time. And because of those experiences, I believe it prepared me for my own barbershop moving forward. And the other organizations that you're involved with, How's that? How are they going? Excuse me? Uh, you had, uh, you were the founder of uh, uh, Black Business Matters and also uh, director and CEO of uh, Rising Phoenix, Seattle. I just wanted yes, to figure Black out and let our listeners know a little bit about each, both of those organizations as well. Black Business Matters is a for-profit business that's dedicated to the promotion and the unification of black businesses in the greater Seattle area 
and eventually beyond and create um, a template uh, for the black community. And we need to unify our efforts in business and in politics. Uh, Rising Phoenix Seattle is a nonprofit uh, where I'm more focused on the incubation of African-American businesses and recreating a black community uh, through the acquisition of real estate and centralizing the black community in an upright manner. Um, upright businesses, doctors, lawyers established in a, a centralized area so we can control our voting base. Now, um, let's go to uh, what, why did you come up with this idea of this barbecue bus, the tree of life? Well, uh, I need to be, um, one, I have to make money and survive. Mm -hmm. And uh, God has blessed me with uh, the ability to cut hair. And since I've been here um, and got to know everything that's going on in our community, um, I have to redirect energy so that uh, I can be financially secure to uh, approach other things. And I know that that got quite a bit of notoriety. So uh, how has COVID impacted your business on the barbecue, uh, the barbershop bus? Well, it slowed everything down for a period of time during the uh, early uh, inception of all of the rules. And um, so it, it slowed things down considerably. Now, uh, it's, because it's opening back up, it, it's starting to get more lucrative and people are starting to get out. Uh, I'm have an appointment to get vaccinated this week coming up, so that also will allow me to do greater business. Okay, good. Okay, before we have to go, why don't you share with our listeners your contact information if they want to talk to you about the, 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 the one of the organizations you're involved with or about the Barbershop Bus? Uh, well, you can contact me on Facebook. Right now I'm under the Beach Bus Barbershop or Black Business Matters or Rising Things Seattle. They're all pages that are active. Uh, right now, you can contact me. Uh, any questions that you have for me will be answered. Um, and Tree of Life Barber Services, you can contact me by phone, 206-371-7913. And um, if you wish to donate to Tree of Life Barber Services to help us to get out into the community and provide these services for um, communities that don't have them, I'm planning on stopping at schools and uh, things to give underprivileged youth better haircuts and services, um, then I would go on to Cash App, which my Cash App is Eric Solomon, E-R-I-C, capital E-R-I-C, capital S-O-L-O-M-O-N, 49. All right, Eric Solomon, thank you very much for your time, man, and keep up the good work in the community. So thank you very much. Thank you very much, Mr. Rod, for allowing me to be here. All right, now. You have a good day. Okay. I uh, want to give another shout out to uh, me and Rice, uh, Port of Sales Diversity Contracting Office. Me and was awarded uh, the Aki Carosa Public Servant Award on August 28th. Uh, Sound Transit's uh, Labor Chief, uh, Leslie Jones, and Civil Rights Officer, uh, John T. Robinson. John T., thank you for the sponsorship of the August 28th event that we had. The City of Seattle's Personal Construction Services Office. Liz Alzir and uh, Jesse Gilliam, 
Concourse Concessions, SeaTac Bar Group LLC, and Stephanie Ogle does our technology. And we're going to take a break and come right back with our next guest, Ms. Jamie Elmore, after this. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Linklight Rail Station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Linklight Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Linklight Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Going our own way every day. Alternative Talk 1150. All right, back to Urban Forum Northwest with your host, Eddie Ryan. Our next guest is Jamie Elmore, founder of the Alopecia Support Group and editor of Ball Life Magazine. She's doing some fantastic work in the area. So welcome to Urban Forum Northwest, Miss Jamie. And why don't you share with our listeners what you're working on? Well, thank you for having me, Mr. Rye. I appreciate um, the opportunity to share. So we are um, actually rolling out our fourth magazine, Volume 4 of Bald Life Magazine. And what Bald Life Magazine is, it's a magazine that features men, women, and children that are bald due to alopecia, cancer, medically induced, or simply by choice. And these individuals are from all over the world. We have a global reach. And um, for your listeners who are not familiar with alopecia, alopecia is an autoimmune disease It's where your immune system attacks your hair follicle and causes your hair to fall out. Now, there are 6.8 million people in the U.S. and 147 million people worldwide. And I also um, have this condition and suffer with this disease since 2004. And so we're just excited about this magazine. It's the first of its kind in the marketplace. So we have made history, and we're just excited, just excited about the work that we're doing and the lives that we are touching, Mr. Wright. And I noticed uh, the next edition, uh, why don't we talk about that? That's coming out when? That Actually, it has already been released September 1st, and it is featuring the none other than the amazing 
Congresswoman Ayanna Presley. And this is just amazing because she too has um, alopecia. She has been suffering for quite some time. And we just have the honor to feature her on our cover. And we have her entire alopecia story featured on the inside. And so we're just excited to have her. And she's doing some great work in Washington, D.C., um, trying to pass some laws that's concerning um, hair and things of that nature. So we're just excited about what we're doing and what's to come. Well, after she revealed she had alopecia, I'm going to use her pick that we took in 2019. It was at uh, the National Congress of Black Women's uh, Brunch, sponsored mm -hmm. by Dr. E.F.A. Williams. And uh, was better at another event before that. She had this long, black, pretty hair. And then, yeah, I guess after she uh, got hooked up with the alopecia support group, she decided just to come on out, which is great. And I think you're doing fantastic work. I still give you credit for that. <laughs> well, I, I'm not going to take the credit for that. I just believe that um, Congresswoman got to a point to where she made a decision, you know, to step out in her true authentic self and by her doing that she has touched thousands of lives and so I'm just excited about our future on um, work together and just um, just what we do um, as a whole because a lot of people don't know about alopecia a lot of people don't understand um, the struggles that come along with this uh, disease and so we're just going to make a positive impact and keep changing the narrative when it comes to beauty. Now, you, you received calls from all across the country and around the world. Why don't you share with our listeners some of the calls you, that you received? Yes. Um, actually, we received calls from everywhere, like you said, from all over the world. And in particular, I received a call back in 2018 from a young girl that lived in Paris, Kentucky. She was 17 years old at the time. She was dealing with alopecia. She had never seen anybody else that had the condition. Um, outside of herself. I met her, started working with her, and um, to make a long story short, she was struggling. Um, didn't want to go to school, was getting um, bullied and things of that nature. And at one point during our um, conversation and just working with her one-on-one, -on -one, she got to a point to where she tried to commit suicide. And with that experience, every time I think about it, I get emotional. With that experience, we were able to sent for her um, with Evel's Fried Chicken, which was our major supporter and sponsor. They wrote a, 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 a check. We flew her and her mother here to Seattle, Washington. They stayed here for a week. Uh, Evel put them up in a hotel, and we literally saved this young girl's life. She graduated from high school. Now she is doing well. And so that's just a, a snapshot of some of the work that we have done. And um, I'm just honored to just have um, this calling on my life when it comes to alopecia. Now, uh, there there were some other folks too that you have been working with. And also, why don't you give our listeners uh, the information about how they can contact you? Uh, because a lot of times it might take a relative or a parent or someone else uh, to have people refer to you because they, they, a lot of them feel hopeless from what I understand in our conversations in the past. They don't think nothing can be done. And then through this alopecia support group, you letting them know there is another way. Because I remember yeah. I went through one event you guys had, and I think that young lady was there. And you guys, uh, you had people volunteering, making wigs and doing all kind of support kind of things, so, which is fantastic. 
Yes, we, we've we've had um, we've had a lot of people that have partnered with us. Like you said, we've done the image and accessory workshop here um, through the city of Seattle. We have a team of about sixty makeup artists from around the city that volunteer their time. And um, we've actually recently just partnered with a author out of Hong Kong, and what he will be doing is donating free books to our organization. They they're actually children's books. And they have a character by the name of Bella. And Bella happens to have alopecia. And so he will be working with us. And we will be um, actually having our virtual fundraiser on September 25th of this year. And all your listeners can plug in and participate and donate if they like to. On that day, we'll be live on Facebook. And we'll have Bella. We'll have Ray from Hong Kong. We'll have Louis, myself, and some of our our babies, some of our little kids that will be at that event as well. And mm. just to add to this, um, uh, Mr. Rye, we are also we also have our Barbie campaign. We have been shipping Barbies, which are bald Barbie dolls, all mm. over the world to little girls okay. in need. And so, that's Jamie, before about. before we have to leave, do you have a, a contact information you can give people right now? They can reach us at com. Okay, Jamie Elmore, thank you so much for all the help you provide for people who think that there there is no help available and you've been coming through for them. We really appreciate you. So thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Uh, I do want to give a uh, shout out of condolence. Uh, Elder James Fields uh, passed away. I did a lot of work. As a matter of fact, his daughter, Tia, uh, is a real good friend of my daughter, Angela's, and she's an outstanding spoken word artist. And we would have had her August 28th, but she was with her, her dad, and that's where she needed to be. His service will be at Emerald City Bible Fellowship uh, at September 14th at 11 o'clock a.m. And then we're going to shout, shout out condolence to the Bascom family. Cynthia Bascom passed away. Cynthia's memorial will be September 17th. 11 o'clock a.m. at New Hope Baptist Church uh, on 21st Avenue. So I uh, just want to give a shout out because we are concerned. And also I want to thank everybody that supported the MLKCC uh, August 28th commemoration of the 58th anniversary of the 1963 March on Washington. There are a limited number of programs. Hayward Evans did an outstanding job. And we want to thank uh, our award winners. Lenny and Marilyn Wilkins won, got the Bernie White Bear Living Legacy Award. Uh, Adam, the Honorable Adam Klein, we got the Sandswick Collective Official Outstanding Achievement Award. Dr. Robert L. Jeffrey received the Roberto Masters Community Leadership Award. Denisha DeBartlebin received the Edwin T. Brad Community Service Award. Mian Rice received the Aki Caroso Public Servant Award. Dr. Benjamin uh, Danielson at the Odessa Brown Humanitarian Award. And Amy Stoddard from the NAACP got the Jackie Jones, Romaine Jones Advocate Leadership Award. And we're out of time. Thank you very much. Talk to you again next week.